break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back on The Punch-Out, 20th of January, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the war in Yemen escalating and grinding on. We're also going to talk about tensions between the U.S. and China. Seems to be a permanent state of affairs there. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about a dangerous escalation happening between the U.S., Europe, and Russia in Ukraine. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov are set to meet Friday amid a dangerous escalation in tensions between the West and Russia over Ukraine issues. Yesterday, U.S. President Joe Biden stated he believes Russia will invade Ukraine, something Ukrainian and Western officials have been warning about for months, despite the fact that the prospects of that seem remote. Both sides have also stated they expect the possibility of false flag attacks to provoke a war in the U.S., U.K., and Baltic states have started shipping large amounts of weapons to Ukraine, and Canada is even proposing building a new ammunition factory in Ukraine. On the other side, some number of Russian troops, according to the U.S., 100,000 troops, Russia's saying many fewer, but some number of Russian troops are deployed in, well, Russia, close to the Ukrainian border in some ways, but again, in Russia. And Russia is also engaging in military training exercises with Belarus currently. So all in all, tensions are quite high. Now, at first glance, it seems unlikely that either side really wants war. The current situation has made the chance of accidental war, though, even higher. In military doctrine, there's a concept known as the escalation ladder. And it's said that it's always easier to go up than to come down. Each step up the rung, one side takes, another side has to match. And then it's harder to climb down without looking like you're capitulating. So you might even escalate even further. So even if both sides don't want war, it's easy to get backed into a corner where it becomes close to inevitable, which is where this situation could be headed. To understand the current situation, we have to go back a bit to spring of 2021. In March and April of 2021, reports started filtering out about large movements of Russian troops inside Russia. Now in the West, any Russian troop movement in Russia, is portrayed as nefarious. But of course, any country with a military is going to be moving its forces around its own country all the time for any number of reasons. It's certainly not a guarantor that that country is preparing for war. And on top of that, it's hard to see any scenario where Russia would gain from invading Ukraine in an unprovoked fashion. Nevertheless, in the West, this was immediately portrayed as some sort of dangerous escalation. Ukrainian President Zelensky jumped on that right away and made it a big political issue. Zelensky came to power with a huge percentage of the vote in 2019 as a political outsider and pledged to bring peace in eastern Ukraine, take on the oligarchs who control the country, and improve the economic situation for the average citizen. However, he had been failing in all of those tasks, 
At the beginning of 2021, his approval ratings were plummeting, and many were saying that he was headed for a loss in the 2024 elections if nothing changed. So Zelensky started making a big deal of showing up at the front lines in eastern Ukraine, making all sorts of bellicose statements about defending the country, throwing out all sorts of accusations that Russia was about to invade Ukraine, and so on. Doing everything he could to fan the flames of the conflict and also pushing hard for Ukraine to be led into NATO. He also began targeting the media and some oligarchs as being linked to Russia and involved in treason and also charged former president and billionaire Petro Poroshenko with similar style of charges around corruption and other things like that, including being tied up with the Russians, which is almost laughable. Also, Zelensky released a new draft bill designed to go after oligarchs. So among other things, this escalation is part of a broader push by Zelensky to renew his mandate and regain popularity. Zelensky, of course, is well aware of the fact that the Russophobes in the West who actually would like a war with Russia and who dream about regime change in Moscow would jump on this. And they have. Faced with the image of a beleaguered Ukraine taking on the evil Russia, the U.S. and U.K. have started rushing weapons to Ukraine, weapons that can be used offensively as well as defensively, and speaking in bellicose terms, something the EU has joined in, which has further escalated the situation and emboldened the Ukrainian government and bolstered Zelensky's position, making him look like a great defender of Ukraine and you know champion of Western values. Behind the veil, however, there are clearly differences in the Western camp. Everyone acknowledges that at the end of the day, if Russia wants to take over parts of Ukraine, there would not be much militarily, at least anyone could do, both Ukraine and all the European countries and even the U.S. forces that are in Europe are militarily no match for Russia. And almost everyone acknowledges that the U.S. is not going to expend any troops on this and probably neither would any of the Western European nations, maybe the U.K., but almost certainly No one would do anything. So the escalation of rhetoric and the sending of arms to Ukraine is really only bound to inflame the situation. And in that regard, Germany has refused to send arms to Ukraine during this latest push and seems to be refusing to allow the UK to use its airspace for its arms shipments. And German officials have stressed that these policies are really just bound to make it harder to de-escalate the situation. France has essentially followed suit and President Macron has disparaged U.S.-led negotiations with Russia, saying that Europe needs to directly negotiate with Russia to find a solution, which is a thinly veiled way of saying France feels Europe is being drawn into a bit of a fool's errand here. Biden, in a press conference yesterday, acknowledged this, saying there are real differences in NATO on how to deal with the issue. And even in the U.S., the signals from the government are mixed. Russia's biggest concern is the eastward expansion of NATO, which it sees as an attempt to encircle and contain them. And the idea of Ukraine going into NATO just supercharges those concerns. While in public, NATO and the U.S. say they are refusing to rule out Ukraine joining, U.S. negotiators have been trying to get Russia to agree to accept a lesser pledge by the U.S. that Ukraine will not join for, you know, it's actually not really described, but essentially for a long time. The U.S. wants Russia to take that as a show of goodwill and is pushing Russia to demonstratively take a step back to facilitate de-escalation. So coming back to the escalation ladder concept, you can see the issues here. Ultimately, Russia has not done anything but move troops around in their own country. So in order to take a step back, they'd essentially have to agree to not move troops around in their own country. For most Russians, this would be a humiliating climb down and a sign that the nation's leaders won't defend the country. This is in a country that has been brutally invaded several times. So again, Hard to step down the ladder. In the U.S., the climate is so anti-Russia. To do anything that helps bring peace is seen as akin to treason. So as long as Ukraine keeps up the saber rattling, the Biden administration will be loathe to take any sort of action to de-escalate either. The situation in eastern Ukraine remains an active conflict. 
And that means that even the normal exchanges of fire that go on could become huge flashpoints. So the kindling is all there. It's just waiting for a match. And if that match is struck, it could end up setting all of Europe on fire and raises the prospect of nuclear war between the U.S., U.K., maybe even other EU nations, and Russia. The U.S. and China are engaged in a bit of a row, small row as these things go, over a U.S. warship provocatively sailing in the South China Sea as part of a challenge over Chinese claims over the Paracel Islands, which are also claimed by Vietnam and Taiwan. China claims they drove the U.S. warship away. The U.S. claims they did not get driven away. And this incident probably will not amount to much, but it is a good time, we think, to point out the fact that despite the U.S. claims that they do not want a quote-unquote new Cold War with China, in terms of actual actions, the U.S. is pursuing policies that are 100% designed to promote a Cold War-style policy of quote-unquote containment, using the U.S. military and its bases and its allies' bases to try to constrain China by making it seem more plausible the U.S. could wage a major war against the country. The 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, the yearly Pentagon war funding measure, so-called defense budget, which passed the Senate 88 to 11, shows the state of affairs quite clearly. For instance, the bill contains $7.1 billion to bolster the Pacific Deterrence Initiative, which directly targets China as America's, quote, greatest long-term challenge, and it's designed to increase, quote, joint force lethality. While quite a bit falls under this rubric, the most notable fact is it includes billions of dollars in funding to increase the Marine Corps' capability to seize and hold islands, which clearly is designed to increase their capability to seize and hold islands claimed by China in the South China Sea. One other major part of the NDAA is a rhetorical focus and some money on quote-unquote strengthening alliances in the Indo-Pacific. As Professor Michael Clare, who studies these issues closely, notes, the language around this in the bill lays out plans for a quote unbroken chain of U.S. armed sentinel states stretching from Japan and South Korea in the northern Pacific to Australia, the Philippines, Thailand and Singapore in the south and India on China's eastern flank meant to encircle and contain the People's Republic. Ominously enough, Taiwan, too, is included in the projected anti-China network. So as you can see, despite the fact that Biden administration officials are trying to downplay the idea of a new Cold War, they are proceeding apace with policies that will, in fact, drive a new Cold War. The war in Yemen was in the headlines again this week after Yemen used drones to attack the airport in Abu Dhabi, UAE, United Arab Emirates, destroying fuel trucks and causing fires. The Yemeni attack was a direct response to UAE-backed forces, increasing their warfighting role in the crucial central Yemeni city of Marib. Since 2015, the war in Yemen has been raging after the Saudis and UAE invaded the country to try to conduct a regime change operation against the ruling Ansar Allah movement, popularly known as the Houthis. After all these years, though, they've totally failed to defeat the Houthis, but have succeeded in creating what's known as the world's worst humanitarian crisis, where millions are dying of hunger, disease, and lack of medical care due to Saudi UAE actions, not to mention the massive bombing of civilian targets carried out by both actors. While the Houthis have waged a fierce drone battle against the Saudis, this is their first direct attack on the UAE. The main reason is, for the past several years, the UAE has moved itself pretty significantly out of the conflict. Seemingly seeing that the Houthis would not be defeated, the UAE directed its proxy forces to hold some islands and some coastal areas that are important to them for control over important sea lanes, but more or less they let it go at that and left the Saudis and their quote-unquote coalition, which has many Sudanese soldiers at the backbone of it, do the fighting. 
However, Marib is very rich in oil and the Saudis were struggling to hold the territory. So seemingly they were able to convince the UAE to send in its proxy forces to help out. And in that context, the Houthi drone attack can be seen clearly as a warning shot telling the UAE to back off. Unlike Saudi Arabia, the UAE is a major crossroads for global business and a major air hub. So fear of Yemeni assaults could easily tank the UAE economy and disrupt global trading networks. And, you know, Yemeni assaults, actually, not just the fear of them, could, in fact, tank the UAE economy and disrupt global trade networks. While the UAE is vowing to respond, the level of violence already meted out against Yemen make it hard to see how that will act as any sort of deterrent. So either the war is going to expand to the UAE or the UAE is going to back away from the war a little bit more. Either way, it's clearly a totally unwinnable conflict that's being continued primarily by Saudi Arabia, but with U.S. and U.K. backing, purely to avoid total defeat, regardless of the human cost on the people of Yemen. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.